0: So, John, chapter eighteen, the verses this morning that we will uh, briefly cover, uh, just skim over them, is is, verses twenty-eight to verse forty. And God's inerrant and inspired and fallible word reads. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter the Praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and, and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and they said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Father, I would ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Father, as we think of this answer and question time that seems to be happening between you, between Jesus, between you and, and Pilate. And Father, as we are well versed, well understand this story and this account, as we come to this moment in time in history where uh, history indeed is obviously made. So, Father, uh, on this day, would you illuminate our hearts afresh? Would you open our minds um, and maybe see this in a new light, in a new way? And, Father, we know that uh, there, there, there's no new additions to your word, but sometimes we can get a, a little bogged down in how we understand uh, something because of what we've always brought to the text. And so I pray this morning uh, that your spirit would open our hearts and mind and uh, would illuminate this text for us. Uh, that we would know exactly uh, what it means, uh, but also uh, how to apply it on this uh, July 4th, 2021, here at Holy Grove. I I pray these things in in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I have titled this sermon this morning, Uh, A Religion That Kills. Religion is on trial in America. You can have your religion, but just keep it to yourself. As long as your beliefs do not affect my life, you can believe whatever you want. But therein lies the problem. A belief that does not shape my life is not a belief at all. Does the cake baker have have the right to operate his shop based on his belief, on his faith? Does the florist have the right to operate her shop based on her faith? Does a private Christian school have the right to educate their children those who attend on their godly biblical principles? Religion is on trial is on trial in America as well as it should be. The religion of America is the religion of self, the religion of autonomy, and it is a religion that kills literally. The leading cause of death in the world is abortion. 42,655,372, according to the World Health Organization. Now, obviously, it's not called abortion. It's called reproductive health. However, the baby in the womb will certainly question the health of whom. Religion in America is on trial. Religion has always been on trial. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad, that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life. And there are few who Find it. And so, in our text this morning, in these verses from 28 to 40, we will see this trial of religion play out between religion and faith. The plaintiff, the religious leaders, the defendant, Jesus. So, in these verses, we will just skim through them very quickly and we'll see the indictment, the penalty, the trial, the verdict, the concession. And then we'll see the concession is rejected. And we will start with the indictment. Anytime a, a trial takes place, there's, there's an obvious indictment. There's a, there's a charge that is, is given. And we see it in verse 28, and they they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, excuse me. and it was early. It was early in the morning. It it, it was an all-night adventure for Jesus and the disciples as they started out that evening and Jesus teaching in the upper room for this Passover meal. And they started out very early and it was an all-night affair and now it's early in the morning. And as they brought Jesus before the praetorium, they brought him there and delivered him because they knew that Pilate is there for the festival of this week. And as they dropped him off, if you will, they themselves did not enter... Because of their religious laws, because of their their tradition, they did not enter into this temple, into this place of court, into this house. Some call it a, a house. it's really we could call it the White House, right? They didn't want to enter into that that space because they felt as though, according to their traditions, according to their law, that would defile them as Jewish people as good religious people, they could not enter into an establishment of the Gentile, of the heathen, of the non-religious, the Jewish people. How blind and how misguided can a person be? Thinking that they want to keep themselves pure and not enter into this Gentile facility because of their laws, because of their, their traditions, They didn't want to enter this, and I was reminded of what Jesus said about this very way of thinking in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. And I cannot think of anything more applicable to that verse this morning and then what these Jewish leaders are here doing in this account that we have of John here this morning. So in order to to eat the Passover lamb, I mean, think about this just for a moment, right? In order to eat the Passover lamb, they're not going to enter into this facility, but they want to deliver the Passover lamb to be slain by the Gentile people. The irony, I mean, the blindness, the hard-heartedness of the unconverted is so blatantly obvious Here in this account by John, in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist says that the the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, like a lamb that is led to slaughter... In Acts chapter 8, verse 32, as Peter comes alongside the Ethiopian, riding there in his chariot, reading from the Scriptures, asking for direction, asking for illumination of what this means. Peter said who it was, and then beginning with all of Scripture, beginning with this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And it is here these religious people that are delivering up the Passover lamb, unknowingly to them, though they should have seen it, they should have recognized it. They were, <laughs> they were the theologians of the highest order of their time. They knew the, the Torah. They knew the Old Testament, as we call it, inside and out. And yet they did not recognize Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. These Jewish leaders were should be the ones who were indicted. And you know, they will be indicted. Every single one of them will stand before this slain lamb. And they will be read from the book of life. And you know, obviously, we'd have to apply that to ourselves too, would we not? Every single one of us will also stand before this slain lamb and give an account on how you act, upon how I act. That is frightening. That is sobering. If what Kenny was speaking to this morning is untrue, that would be a scary and a fearful time. But as Kenny was, was headed in that direction, the righteousness of God, this is the beginning of, uh, uh, of the righteousness of God being imputed, being put onto and being placed on us in our sinfulness, our unrighteousness placed upon this lamb as he will now be led before the slaughters. It's the great exchange. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. That is why we can stand before this slain lamb at the end of the age and know and know that we can stand right before this God, before this open book. Have you have confidence that you can do that? Why? Is it tradition that brings you there? Or is it the teachings of this book that you get your confidence from? We must be very, very careful. So Pilate asks, what accusation do you bring against this guy? It's early in the morning. (laughs) I haven't even had my first cup of coffee yet. I, I, I'm still in bed, and you're dragging me out. You're bringing this. Book. There's a whole crowd of people with you. This must be serious. What accusation does this man have? And, and this is the indictment. Here, here's the indictment that they bring to this court trial, and as we called it last week, uh, the, the, the kangaroo court before the so-called high priest, and, and now here before the, the legal state, if you will, And so their answer of this charge was in verse 30. Do you see it there in your Bible? They answered and said to him, If this man were an evildoer, were not an evildoer, we would not be bringing him to you. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like an indictment to me. That doesn't sound like any serious charges to me if I'm in Pilate's position. This is the charge that they bring to Pilate in charge of this man. I mean, think about the arrogance of what these religious people are actually doing. They're in essence saying, take our word for it, Pilate. We're in a hurry. We got to be on with this holy week. We got to be on with the Passover meal. There's some speculation on exactly when that happened, especially with the synoptic gospel. But nonetheless, this was a whole week of Passion Week. This was a whole week of a holy week. And they just wanted to get this done with. They wanted to get this over with. Just take our word for it, Pilate. If this guy wasn't an evil person, we would not be disturbing you. Take him off our hands and do with him as we want you to do with him. And that is the, that is the next point now, is it not? What exactly did they want? This is the penalty that we see here in our verses here this morning, in verses 31 to 32. They say, put him to death. Pilate, take him, said, and take him and judge him yourself. And they said, well, wait a minute, Pilate, We, we can't do that because our law says, your law says, because the death penalty, the capital punishment was taken away from the Jewish people. And it was given to the state of Rome. That's the Pax Romana. That's why it came about, because Rome Rome had this control. And they said, well, we can't put this man to death. I mean, think about it, okay? So here they bring Jesus before this trial, before Pilate. The accusations are that he's an evildoer. And then they just want to say, put him to death. Put him to death. This, This is the arrogance of these particular religious leaders here that we have before us. He said, judge him according to your law. And he says, "Well, no, because we're not allowed to put him to death and we want him dead. We want Jesus to die. He must die because he is an evil doer." JC Rao remarks here on this point. He has this to say, and I quote, "What a striking confession the Jews here made. Whether they were aware of it or not, they actually admitted that they were no longer rulers" And governors of their own nation. And that they were under the dominion of a foreign power. They were no longer independent, but subjects of Rome. And listen, Americans, listen, people. Our authority comes from Christ Alone. I love the 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 sign down the road um in Christ fellowship or whatever the name it is Steve is Steve is the pastor there where he has a sign that says says freedom is in Christ alone. I couldn't agree more with that. We must remember our authority, our rights do not come from our state, do not come from our local governments outside when we're peeking of our spiritual authority. That's not where they come from, and yet here these religious leaders are going to the state to carry out religious happenings, religious problems, if you will. We must understand that our authority comes from Christ. How we function as Christian people, how we function as a body of believer, how we worship, that's not a right that is given to us by the state. Sure, we can do it in freedoms. Sure, we can do it without anybody looking in the window and threatening us for the moment. But that comes from Christ alone. That is who we get our authority from. And yet we want to live peacefully. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, Peter says this. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of the evildoers. Notice who's doing the punishing, the governor, the state, and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God. Honor people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Listen, as citizens of whatever country a person may live in, we obviously live here as citizens of America. We want to honor our government. We want to honor our country as long as it doesn't go against our faith. Our faith. Faith must always come first. These religious issues, these leaders are raising the Roman authorities to do their dirty work. They're wanting them to do their dirty work. If Rome had not taken away the right of capital punishment, they would have actually stoned Jesus. Stoned Jesus. Well, now, why is that important? Well, it's just maybe as a, as a, as a side note, though I do think it'll be very important. Um, we see here in verse 32... Because they said, um, "Well, uh, actually, our law doesn't allow anyone to put, put anyone to death. And so to fulfill the words, and John's adding this commentary here, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which He spoke, signifying about the type of death that he was to die." Well what kind of death, the, the, the kind of death here equals is, is two. We must look at that two aspects of it. We must look at the how and the why of what is being spoken of. The how is obviously the crucifixion, which was a Roman specialty. It was a Roman specialty. This is, this is the how that Jesus here had prophesied that he would be put to death. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, behold, we are going to Jerusalem and we are, and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the religious people. Who's doing the handing over here? This is the religious people are doing the handing over. And they will mock him. They will spit on him. They will scourge him. They will kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. So this is the how of what Jesus and what John is calling to our attention here. There's also the why. Well, why? It's for eternal life. In John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it tells us, The words of Jesus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to point back to numbers uh, that was recorded for us here by, by Moses, and I want to point back to numbers of where this comes from. As the children of Israel, as they were wandering their way through the wilderness, they were bitten by snakes. They were bitten. They had this poison running throughout their body. And they said, Moses, help us. We have sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh. And you intercede with Yahweh that he may remove the serpent from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And then Yahweh said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. Set it on a stand. And it will come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Moses made a bronze, a bronze excuse, me, bronze serpent, set it on a standard, and it came about that if a person was bit by the serpent, they would look upon this bronze serpent up on this stand, and they would be eradicated from this poison. They would be saved from it. And so the, the how or the why here of why John is calling that to our attention, is the penalty is, is death. The penalty is death for that, and it is Jesus who died for the people. It is, this is what John wants us to know in this passage here this morning. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul had written this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. You know, obviously not literally. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live in the faith by the Son of God who loved me, loved me first, then gave himself up for me. This is what John wants us to understand here this morning. See, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, where God created man and woman, God created the garden and all that's in it, and he said, from every tree in the garden, you can eat. But the tree of knowledge, you must not eat. Because the day you eat of this tree, you will die. You will die. This is still the command today. The command today is still the same. Obedience. Obedience to God. Obedience to Christ. Still the command today. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along and says, Did God, you know, no, no, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall not surely die? <laughs> and this today is still the lie of Satan, is it not? This today is still the lie that we are being told day in and day out. And that is that God will not hold you, that God will not hold me accountable. And that is a lie. The day that we eat of the fruit, which has happened, we will die. And it is only by looking to Christ as the serpent in the wilderness, as Jesus upon that cross, it is only by looking to Christ that we can be saved. And I might also offer here this morning that Jesus did not die in vain. Jesus knew those who were his, and Jesus was assured that this process is not optional. This process is not something he's going to go through just to to give an opportunity for all those specific people that God had in mind here. This was the assurance that the Son was given to walk through this path and to walk down this journey. What we see in the indictment, we see the penalty, and then then we come to this, this trial, which is interesting that the trial happens here and now. But Pilate summoned Jesus, and he said, come in here. Are you the king of the Jews? Is this who who you are? And Jesus responds, don't you love this? I I love, because I ask a lot of questions. So I love this back and forth questioning. And so Jesus says, well, I, I mean, let me answer your question with a question. Did, did, did you come across that on your own? Is that something that you heard? Is that something that you were told? Or why are you asking these types of things? Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate wanted to know. And I might also say, because it's been many, uh, quite, quite a while since we were at Palm Sunday. But, but biblically, I mean, when you think about how this played itself out that week, it was just a matter of days. Just a few days earlier, Pilate seen all these crazed people lining the streets. Praising Jesus as he rides into this city victorious. And now all of a sudden, here's Jesus before them. And so obviously, Pilate wants to know, are you the king? Are you a king of the Jews? What concerns should I have? Should I be concerned for my position of power? It's all about power. It's always been about power. It is still about power today. It's always about power. And and Pilate was concerned about his loss of possible power. So he says, Well, did, did did you come across that on your own? Or did you hear it from somebody else? And Pilate then says, He says, What did you do? Verse 35. Again, he doesn't, doesn't answer. He says, You know, am I a Jew? Your own people came and dropped you off here. What did you do? And Jesus answers, I do everything and did exactly what the Father has sent me to do. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, "But I, Jesus said, "For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but do the will of the Father who sent me." Verse thirty-nine: For this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. This is why. Jesus came so that everyone who looks upon him can have this redemption, can have this salvation. Now, in verse 36, they, he handed them back to the Jews. You, we would expect that, that they were handed back to the, to the Roman government. We expect John to say, well, he was handed back to Rome in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, or verse uh, 35. And they, they handed them back to the Jewish people. They didn't hand them over to Rome. That's somewhat telling and revealing. In verse 37, he says that therefore, or verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting for me so that I would be not handed over to the Jews, but that I would actually be handed over to them, to the Father. To they would, they would fight for me. So Pilate, don't worry. I'm not here to take over your position. But if I, if I was, then my people would certainly fight for me. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world Jesus' kingdom is of the world to come, and though we do know that it's partial being realized here in the now. And he goes on, he says, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you, you are a king, and Jesus says, You said correctly that I am a king, for this is why I was born. And this is why I've come, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is the truth hears my voice. This is not Jesus, he's explaining a little bit further. Why did I come? Why did you come into the world? So that those who hear my voice, and you must think that Pilate, or Jesus was asking Pilate, do you hear my voice? Do you understand? Are you connecting the dots? You must think that Jesus implied that here in this meeting. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus had said earlier. In John chapter 7, he said that I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. My own know me. I lay down my life for my sheep. Those are the ones who hear the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? Of course, he says it very sarcastically. But again, it is still the question today. What, what is truth? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Of course, we can point to that. And as we think about our own faith, as we think about <clears throat> think about truth, In our own context, in our own communities, in our own circles, even here. The question is always asked of what can Christianity do for me? This is often the approach that we bring. This is exactly what brought Jesus here before Pilate. And this is still before us here this morning. What can Christianity do for you? What what can it do for me? What can I get it? Really the question that is being asked and that many of us are told. Christianity, one, is it relevant? Two, they would say, Christianity is not relevant. Christianity is no longer relevant. Christianity is not true because it is relevant. Christianity is relevant because it is true. What is truth? How are we supposed to understand what is truth? That's still, the question is it not? This is the religion. That's at war here among us, here in our communities, in our churches, in our nation. What is truth? Is Christianity relevant still today? And of course, we see the verdict. Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. Here's an unbeliever. Here's a Gentile that says, this man hasn't done anything. There's, There's nothing that he has done. And then we see the concession in verse 39. He says, but I'll tell you what, he wants to compromise, right? He wants to keep all these people within his town happy. He doesn't want them to overthrow the town. He says, but there's a, there's a, there's a tradition you have that someone is released to you. How about I release Barabbas? And they say, no. No, we don't want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus released. We want Barabbas released. The Blindness of the religious leaders. Blindness of these who were entrusted with the Jewish nation here do not even recognize their Savior. Later on in Acts chapter 3 in Peter's second sermon, he says, but you disowned the holy and the righteous one. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but you put him to death, the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. And listen, I must, I must just leave it here for this morning. But we must also ask that question. Have we disowned the Holy One? How are we trying to synchronize our faith with the culture? That's very much happening today. In the process of doing that, are we disowning the Holy One? It's a fair question on this holiday weekend. Father, I just um, thank you that, um, that your spirit is alive and well and working in through, through and among us. Father, there's so much that could be said. There's so many places our thoughts are drawn when we think about this particular text coming at this particular time. And Father, we entrust these things to you. And Father, may this weekend, may this day, be a time that we certainly take stock and ask what is our relationship like with the Holy One? Are we trying to walk two worlds as these religious people were? Are we trying to walk one foot in, one foot out? Father, are we trying to follow two gods? Father, I pray that you would bring clarity to our hearts and to our minds this morning as we think about This trial, as we think about you standing before Pilate, brought there by those who claimed they were people of God. I pray, Lord, that you would bring protection on Holy Grove as we ourselves at times find ourselves in very spiritual battles with a spiritual enemy, a real enemy, not the people in the community, not the people of the culture, of this evil one who wants us to believe lies about you. So I pray, Lord, that truth would have its day, that truth would indeed prevail. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.